Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26, with an emphasis on verses 12 through 21. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to, for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, Metro. I want to welcome you today. If this is your first time here, if you are a visiting, we just want to lift up a prayer and a praise of thanksgiving for you guys. Um, so thankful that as a church we are continuing um, just our initiative of uh, mercy outreach and uh, mercy ministries as we uh, focus on Easter outreach and just kind of engaging within the city of Philadelphia. Um, so we praise God that he allows us to partake in opportunities uh, with partnering churches. And so we want to lift up a prayer of thanksgiving for that. Um, but at the end, let the central core uh, drive an initiative through the preaching and the ministry of the Word. So at this time, I'm going to invite you guys to join me in prayer as we dive into the Word this morning. Lord God, we want to just lift you up right now. We want to lift up a prayer of thanksgiving, Lord God, that you allow us to just dive into a, a, a ministries of mercy and outreach, Lord God, where we continue to shed light into a dark and broken world. But for Lord God, we praise you for those opportunities, Lord God, and may you use this church as an instrument of hope. But Lord God, as we come before you right now, Lord God, let us not forget, Lord God, that it is centralized in the ministry of your word. So Lord, at this time, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you will be with us as we hear your word, that your word will be alive and that it will be relevant to all of us right now. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that this word will be clear and that you will speak. Lord God, that you will use me, Lord God, as I am nothing without you. You know my heart. You know my fears and my anxieties. So, Lord God, I pray that you will work through them, Lord God, so that, Lord, you will be glorified, honored, and praised. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will use me as an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you, we thank you, we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Now as we uh, begin to approach Easter, a uh, celebration of resurrection, 
Uh, prior to that, what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to focus on the Lent season. Now, Lent is simply just an old English term for the spring season of flourishing, and it's synonymous with a period of preparation of new life. It's the observance and preparation prior to celebrating the risen Jesus. And if you are a Christian or if you are considering the Christian faith, Just as we observe the resurrected Jesus on an Easter Sunday, we are also called to observe the more darker moments that led to a resurrected Jesus. See, the problem is, is in on our desires for instant gratification, it also leaks into our walks with the Lord. So we always want redemption and renewal, but we often forget that redemption and renewal comes through our sufferings and our hardships. If I can say it this way, we always want the newness of spring, even though we forget that God is working in the coldest of winters. And so it is with the Lent season. Just as the season of the coldest winter gives way to spring, my hope is that this Lent season would be a powerful time of renewal that gives way to a resurrected King Jesus. This morning, I want to begin our Lent series with one of the more somber yet more well-known passages of all of Scripture as we dive into the Last Supper Now, what we know about the Last Supper is that it was the last documented meal that Jesus will have with his disciples, and it is also where we will find Jesus telling his disciples, you will betray me. I have three points for us today as we navigate through the Last Supper with Jesus and the disciples. The three points are the feast, the guest, and the host. The feast, the guest, and the host. The first point, the feast. Look at verse 12 with me. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? Now here Mark begins, and he tells us that this was during a time of Passover. Well, what is Passover? Passover is a commemoration of Israel's freedom from bondage and slavery under the rule of Pharaoh. And it's when God, he would send an ultimate plague and he would uh, take the lives of all of the Egyptians' firstborns to end this slavery and bondage. Now, what's important to note about this plague that I've mentioned, it's important to note that this last plague was a plague of ultimate wrath, meaning all of humanity, regardless of ethnic and religious background, everyone would be subjected to this wrath, meaning for the Jews, they were not excluded from this judgment just because of their Jewish identity. The only way you could be free from this judgment is through your faith In a sacrifice, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 tells us that this blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Specifically, what that means is that you would have to slay a lamb and then you would put that blood on the doors as a sign of your faith in God's provision. So when on that day of judgment, God saw that blood on that door, it was a sign. And when God saw that sign, he saw this faith offering, God would then show grace and he would pass over their household, sparing them from this very wrath. Meaning that the Passover meal was simply a commemoration of Israel's freedom from slavery. The Passover meal was a celebration when God's people were spared from death. So here we are, back at Mark chapter 14, and Jesus lays this out, that because of this day of commemoration, Jesus now would have a grand feast. He would celebrate this time of Israel's history, and he would do it in a meal, in a grand feast with his disciples. Meaning this, it was not just an ordinary night of Chinese takeout and Taco Bell. This meal was much more than that. It was very special. It was a celebration. It was a time to, to focus on what God has done. There was no fast food approach to a meal in biblical times. One commentator says it this way when he talks about fellowship and a meal in a biblical context. Table fellowship had more significance for Jews than a simple social gathering. Eating together was evidence of peace, trust, forgiveness, and brotherhood. Now, what's important to know about this grand feast, this meal, this celebration, was that it took actually much preparation and attention. There's a lot of detail that came into play. So when you read verse 13 through 16, it says... So Jesus sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will then show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. See, when you look at that detailed instruction, very detailed, it's something that you would probably look past often, but I don't think that should be the case. I actually think when you see this instruction from Jesus, it's actually very telling of who Jesus Christ is for us today, and it is this. If Jesus Christ is taking care of every single detail in a feast— is Jesus Christ not in control of every minor detail and every major moment of your life? God is in complete control of your life. He navigates every step of the way. He knows where you are going. He knows what it is to come. He is in complete control. God is in complete control because simply of the uncontrollable chaos, wrath, and final plague placed on Jesus Christ. 
That's why the author of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, he declares to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Meaning, when there is a circumstance in your life and that makes you feel like you need a navigation system for your holiness, you can remember that Jesus Christ is the foundation of your faith. Or when there is a season of sin and suffering and things seem a little bit hopeless and things seem to be a little bit too broken, Jesus is the perfecter of your faith. The feast tells us that God is in control. God was in control when he unleashed the plagues to free his people from Pharaoh's rule. He was in control when he prepared the last supper for his disciples. And God is most certainly in control when you feel like fear and anxiety is consuming your uncertainties and your doubts in life. I just want to let y'all know that this morning, church, that God is in control. When life seems a little bit hopeless, when you are so uncertain, when you're not sure where your next paycheck is coming from, you don't know where your next job opportunity is coming from. I don't know what that, how that will play out, but the one thing I can promise, because the word promises, is that God is in control. But it's interesting that just as the Israelites, they fell into wilderness right after God saved them from bondage, they go into a stage of wilderness. In the same way, you and I can go through wilderness. As you and I, we have spiritual amnesia. We forget that God was always sovereign. We forgot that God has placed a meal. We forget that God has made a way. And there's not any difference with the disciples in this feast. Look at uh, verse 17 and 18 as we focus on our second point, the guest. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. They were reclining at the table eating. I'll stop right there. Now, as mentioned, the Passover feast, it was a very special meal. And some details here tell us that this meal was a grand meal, it was a celebratory meal, but it was also a very intimate meal between Jesus and his disciples. See, it's interesting because whenever you look at the Lord's Supper, what do we see? We see that painting, that very well-known painting we have seen in all of media. But a lot of uh, historians will tell you that it's a little bit inaccurate. Uh, In this painting, what do you see? You see everyone sitting around Jesus. But verse 18, it actually tells us a small detail that's a little bit different. It tells us that they were reclining. John will go a little bit more into this reclining in John chapter 13. It tells us that John was reclining at the table next to Jesus and Peter leaning back against Jesus. That's how uh, it was set up. That's how it's positioned in this meal. This meal would be laid out, and there would be three couches surrounding. So people and the disciples in this moment were reclining. They were laying next to each other. So consider this intimate meal with Jesus, his closest friends, in the most comfortable way. It's a safe place, if you will. Imagine and picture the intimacy as they are eating together. But what's so ironic 
is to see what unfolds in verses 18 through 20. Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Now, what stands out here is that Jesus is saying that it will be one of the twelve that will betray him, specifically one who dips bread into the bowl with him. Specifically, what um, Jesus is referring to is Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, which says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So consider Jesus right now in this meal. Consider the experience, knowing that there is a betrayal that is to come. And not only that betrayal is to come, it is to come by one of his 12 disciples. That one of the 12 disciples will betray him, even though he has invited him to a grand feast. Here is the point about this betrayal. Even the most welcomed guest into the presence of God has the most unwelcoming amount of sin. Now, although this text may show, not show, excuse me, we all know that who this betrayer is. It's Judas. Now, what do we know about Judas? Well, Matthew chapter 26, verse 15, it tells us that Judas was delivered Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And typically that meant it was about a four-month average uh, um, 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 salary as a laborer. And now before we get all excited and before we get all angry and say, oh, I will never do that. I'm not like Judas. I want to be like Jesus and blah, 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 and all so forth. And you guys are all passionate and holy right now. Before we begin to do that, I want you to consider this. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But if you and I are honest, in some shape or form, We are so willing to betray God in our own ways. Why? Because at the core of every man, you and I, if you are in this room and if you are outside of this room, the sin within us, that consumes us. It makes us natural betrayers. That in our naturalness, in our sinfulness, that we will naturally betray because we always want to worship and desire something other than God. You may not desire 30 pieces of silver, but you may desire a certain amount of power. You may not want 30 pieces of silver, but you may desire some level of comfort. You may not desire 30 pieces of silver, but you will desire family, intimacy, social status. So the question for us in this room and the question we must ask ourselves every day What are your 30 pieces of silver that would make you compromise your love for Jesus? You and I are undeserving guests. We do not deserve a meal with Jesus. The only reason why you and I are accepted is simply because of Jesus Christ's love, his compassion, and his grace. What does that mean for us right now? If you are in this room, it means this. It means that you can come honest 
It means that you can come open with your filthy rags. You can be real about your sinful desires. You can be honest about your broken past. And you can know, you can be comforted that as you enter this feast, God comes with welcome arms, arms open wide. And he says, son, daughter, enter the presence of God. Recline with me, dine with me, and celebrate with the king. If I can say it this way, sin is natural betrayal, but Jesus Christ is a miraculous source of forgiveness. The only reason why you and I can dine with King Jesus in fellowship is because we do have a gracious host, and that leads us to our final point. Now, what's interesting to note is that In a Passover meal, there is always a lamb as the main course. Why? Because in the Passover, the lamb, it represented the blood sacrifice that was needed for salvation's sake. So in every Passover meal that's to come, the grand dining last entree would be a, 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 um, a lamb, excuse me, as it represented the blood shed to protect God's people from his wrath. But what's interesting to note is that when you look at the gospel accounts of the Passover, there's actually no mention of a lamb. So the question is why? Jesus is being very clear about this point, and the point is this. There was no prepared lamb for the meal, for it was not needed. Jesus Christ is preparing himself as the lamb. Verse 21 The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Jesus is declaring that there is no last entree needed for I am the Passover lamb. I am the meal that you will feast on. I am all that you need. I am all that you will ever want. So when he says in verse 21, he kind of breaks it down on how that is the case. Jesus is confirming the things that were written in the past, and he is the fulfillment of what was written. Specifically, Jesus is referring to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6 and 7, that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So when Jesus says that he will fulfill what is written. Jesus is declaring, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. I am the lamb and I will be slaughtered. I am the Passover. I am the meal. I am all that you have ever needed. See, lambs in the Old Testament, they were to be perfect and they were to be without blemish and broken bones. And what I see in John chapter 9 verse 36, it says that these things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. 
simply showing that Jesus died before his legs could be broken. It was a common practice to hasten the death of crucified criminals, meaning Jesus Christ was also without blemish or broken bones. He was blameless. In the Old Testament, lambs would be murdered and the blood would be shed. So God would pass over his people. He would save them from a slavery of physical labor. Jesus Christ would be slaughtered on the cross. And his blood shed would free us from a slavery of eternal damnation. Jesus Christ, mighty, perfect, and spotless, became weak, vulnerable, and broken. For you and I. And I just want us to consider this truth right now. Would you consider this truth? And was you considering it enough where it can just melt you a little bit? That out of, out of all of the brokenness that surrounds us, all of the broken things that you see, all of the broken relationships that you have encountered, all the broken circumstances in your life, all the sin that consumes you, all of the sin that surrounds you, would you just consider that above all of that and through that, you have a God of salvation, a Passover lamb, spotless and blameless, and he did it for you. Will you consider that? I love that because I love this truth because I feel like when there is this truth, what happens is if you make it a redemptive reality in your life, it kind of shapes how you live today. What do I mean? It means that you can have confidence in your voice because Jesus was silent. You can be strengthened in hardship because Jesus was broken. You don't have to feel abandoned because you know that Jesus was left astray. And when you have a relationship that says that you are in him, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, know that nothing is in vain and that he is with you and he is for you in that Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says it this way. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beloved church, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was the one that all Passover feasts pointed to. He was the Passover lamb to come. Made us Passover lamb the Son of God, sacrificed on the cross. May that be the center of your faith and your life and your everlasting hope. I'll close out with this as we read verse 22 and 24, and I will be out your way. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now here, as we close out, we see Jesus sharing a meal with his disciples, a meal simply of bread and wine. That's what we know as communion in the church today. But what that bread and wine represents is our intimacy with God. 
And what I love is that it's in this intimacy, he distributes to all of the disciples to declare, have intimacy with me, but consider having intimacy with one another. What does this tell us as we focus on Christ and the saving uh, from his wrath? Just as Jesus offered food as a reflection of offering of himself and to his disciples, the question as we go home, will you consider breaking bread with one another in the context of community? Will you consider the importance of community and how God has given us community, that he has placed people in your life to surround you, to walk with you, and to be for you? Will you consider this idea of being more community dependent as Christ called us for that community dependency? Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, he sacrificed himself. And the question is, what does it mean to live a, live a life of sacrifice for one another? So as we head out very simply and practically, when you go and we come and we praise and we worship after we close out this song, Will you consider that if you are convicted by this Passover lamb, will you consider to doing life with one another, to have a meal with one another, to enjoy one another, to do some breaking of the bread? Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, our sacrifice, and he was sacrificed because of our betrayal but we praise God in response that you and I, we now have an intimate relationship with him and that he allows us to have an intimate relationship with one another. Will you join me in prayer this morning?